This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. He helps us pan for the gold inside ourselves. You need to have grit. I mean, a lot of this is grit. I feel like I've been made a better lawyer. They're talking about something that's real to them. You have to be really careful not to be Goliath. They saved a bunch of lives and changed society forever. But let's just begin the conversation. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation, your source for guidance to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your practice. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. My guest this week is Joe Freed. Joe is a nationally renowned trucking lawyer out of Atlanta, Georgia. I've known Joe for a long time, and, you know, Joe and I have done things a little different. You know, I somewhat specialize. I do trucking commercial vehicles. I do product liability, and, you know, just anything else that might be a big personal injury case I try to handle. Joe does it differently. He He's always just done one thing. He was a MedMal lawyer and was really, really good at it. Then when I met him, he was a product liability lawyer, and he just did cars that caught on fire after crashes and was really good at that. And then when Ford fixed the defects he was suing him over, he decided to become a trucking lawyer. And I wanted to talk to him because he has a great story to tell and a lot to share with us about how he became a trucking lawyer, how he specialized in one field and became a master of it. And from a matter of just a few short years, went from not having handled trucking cases to becoming one of the best and most sought-after trucking lawyers in the country. I think we can all learn something from that and take that back to our own practices, and I hope you enjoy this interview. How are you doing today, Joe? Doing great. Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for those people that are listening that don't know you yet. Well, uh, my name again is Joe Freed. I'm uh, a trial attorney from Atlanta, Georgia. At least that's where I live. My practice is all over the country. It specializes in handling cases involving commercial motor vehicle crash cases and some other interesting cases every now and then that grab hold of us. What made you pick commercial vehicle cases or trucking cases as something to specialize in? Well, uh, the truth is commercial vehicle cases sort of chose me. What ended up happening, the short story uh, on trucking is that I had finished a, a large book of business with against Ford Motor Company involving uh, product liability cases specific to post-collision fires, like the sort of modern-day Pinto case, if you will. And uh, I was looking for what to dedicate myself to after that. And for a couple of weeks leading up to a particular night, uh, everything I looked at, I saw truck wrecks. I mean, he turned on the TV and there was a truck wreck. I even drove by a truck wreck. Uh, I got on an airplane and somebody left a trucking industry magazine open to a trucking safety problem in the seat back pocket in front of me. And I'm like, okay. Uh, And so that night I was tossing and turning in bed trying to figure out where to spend, where to become a subject matter expert, what was next for me, what was the next chapter. And the dialogue was something like, you know, I guess I think I'm supposed to do truck wreck cases. I think that we run through life and we don't listen for the the voice to tell us where we're supposed to be. And, you know, uh, I'm very, I feel very fortunate that the right voice won out in my head that that night because there's certainly been times when the other voice has won out um, and I've you know not done what I otherwise felt I should. 
One thing that might be useful to people listening to this is that, that might want to become experts in trucking or some other areas. So you went from being a you know, very good lawyer in two other areas and but never really having handled trucking cases to, you know, within a couple of years becoming someone that was asked to speak nationally and handling trucking cases at a very high level. What did you do to gain the expertise that you have? Well, it's a good question, and there's actually a few ways, uh, if you'll let me sort of meander through this answer a little bit. It's important, so take all the time you want. Um, first, you know, when I decided that I wanted to handle truck cases, uh, I knew I was looking for the next place for me to not just, quote, handle cases, but the next place that was going to be a major chapter in my life and the next place that I was going to dedicate myself to. So it wasn't just a how can I go and get cases and how can I go and make money trucking. And sometimes I think I'm accused of, well, you picked it because it's a high dollar value area. And that may have played a role in it somewhere along the line. But product um, liability is a high dollar value area too. So that's, you could have stayed and done what you already knew how to do and continued to make high dollar value. So yeah. there's got to be more to it than that. Well, um, you know, and we can get into some of the 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 you know, my philosophical place where how I see my role in the world as a lawyer, which um, is, has evolved over time. But but I think at the at the end of the day, um, you know, you said, how do I how did I do it? Well, I did it by becoming a subject matter expert in trucking. Um, and when we talk about products, I'll show you that that's what I did in products, too. In fact, it may be worth going ahead and talking about that. And just, sure. You know, when I, when I handled medical cases, I didn't just handle medical cases. My take-home reading were medical books. Um, I spoke to doctors. I I really wanted to understand uh, at the at the base level uh, what what it meant to be a doctor. How do doctors get trained? How do doctors learn? How do they think? Because that's what we're called to do when we're lawyers. I mean, we have this we have the law superimposed upon something that's very significant. And to be the best medical lawyer you can be, you have to really know medicine. Um, to be the best auto products lawyer, I mean, to this day, if you name a car, I can draw you the fuel system. I really wasn't a product liability lawyer. I was one kind. I, I handled cases involving rear impact post-collision fires. I mean, I would tell people, you know, if you get hit in the back or maybe the back corners, I'm the right lawyer and a car caught on fire. But once you got around to the side of the car, I'm probably the wrong lawyer for it. That's how specialized I was. But you know, there's, there was nobody who was stupid enough to spend the kind of time and energy. I mean, I could, it, learning fuel system integrity uh, than I did. And, and it was really, it's born out of fear, Michael. It's born out of feeling not good enough. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I admit it to you because I think it's worthwhile because I think I'm not the only one who feels like that. I, I bet everybody, if they're honest with themselves, feels like that. So for me, I would tell myself no one will outwork me. No one will outsmart me. Well, I know there's a lot of people who are smarter than me, but so that means I'm just going to have to work harder to learn this stuff. And I did. And I, you know, I mean, to this day, I can name crash test numbers. I can draw fuel system integrity characteristics if you if you brought a fuel system engineer somebody who's that's their world right now into this room and sat down next to me with a microphone we i could communicate with them at a at their level even after 11 years even after this time sure because it doesn't leave you i mean you're you know maybe i don't know some of the newest vehicles but but um 
you know, fuel system integrity hasn't changed. The concepts haven't changed for a long time. When I decided to do trucking, it was not, it was not the kind of thing where I flippantly said, I'm going to be a truck lawyer. And, you know, it, it, it upsets me when I hear other lawyers do that because, and some of them will flippantly come to me and say, oh yeah, you're a truck lawyer. One of them actually made fun of me and saying, you're a truck lawyer. Well, I'm a lawyer. And I, I didn't jump. I didn't take the bait. Uh, he's a fantastic lawyer, that guy. But what, what, what my internal dialogue was is, if you only knew what I've done, you know, if you only knew that I went to truck driving school, if you only knew that how many times I've read the regulations and the comments to the regulations and the backup to the comments to the regulations and how many times I've studied, you know, how much I've studied about the industry and how deeply I've gotten into this, um, you wouldn't laugh at me. And so when I, when I interact with people in this area, I interact from, from a sincere desire to help this industry be better than it is. It's such an important industry to our country. And many of the people in the industry are fantastic people who are very safety conscious, but they get drowned out by profit-motivated people who want to run over safety. And so when I first got into this, people thought of these cases as big car wreck cases. They applied the same rules to these cases as car wreck cases. And you and I today were at a program where some advanced level people were talking to other lawyers about how to best handle these kinds of cases. And when I stand back and think where we've come in the last 11 years in training warriors, in training people who are out there, yes, they make money doing this. I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't make money. Of course I make money doing it and I do well. And I want all, all those people to do well too. But the reason I'm training, help, helping train them, and that's a big part of my life, is because we're making a difference. It's safer now than it was before because lawyers are, are holding those who are not taking safety seriously accountable. And if, 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 if I hope that my, le- I know my legacy, I wish my legacy could be in trucking what it was for the Ford Mustang, which was to eliminate a fuel system integrity problem. I'm not going to eliminate bad truck truck driving, but if my legacy can be that I've helped train a, an army of people who now know this stuff much better than they did before, and who can go out there and affect safety, you know, if we can if we can affect how these companies operate because they know that if they don't operate safely, people who know what they're doing will take them to task, then I will have succeeded. It's too much to write on an epitaph, but that's what I really want is to be able to know, to, to know that I made that kind of a difference. Well, on the safety front, I think you've done more than just train other lawyers. I mean, haven't you put things into settlements that made companies get safe? At the very beginning, when I started getting into truck cases, one of the things I noticed was there was this wonderful technology on the logistics side. You know, I mean, you could type in on a cell phone your package number, your tracking number, and it would tell you what time it was going to be at your house. You know, and you think that's sophisticated, you should see what UPS has for UPS, not their customers, or, you know, any of these, many of these other companies. So the logistics side, there was these phenomenal, there was phenomenal, you know, capabilities, GPS tracking, speed tracking, uh, location tracking, safe, you know, I mean, uh, uh, operational uh, uh, data from fuel mileage to, you know, everything. And then there was the safety side, and, it was, and, and, and 
the safety side had no access to, no ability to, and didn't even seem to know that that stuff even existed. And so you had companies who literally would split their logistics side from their operation side, or from their operation side from their safety side. I've seen that, yeah. And, and you know, I remember sitting across from Warner Enterprises' safety director. It's one of the very first trucking safety directors I took deposition-wise. And I remember looking at her and saying, if you wanted to, with the technology that you have in the trucks, you could, when your trucker is over hours, your cell phone that I see you wearing, this back when we used to wear our cell phones, if you remember, that cell phone you're wearing could go off, couldn't it? And I remember the answer was something like, but my cell phone would go off all the time. Oops, oh I didn't mean to say that, you know. And I just remember, so, so that's part of it is connecting the technology. So now where we are now, is we've advanced to the point, and you know, a lot of your listeners will know about automatic emergency braking and what they call forward collision avoidance technology. A lot of us have it on our cars now. What's available for big trucks? And the statistics, and these aren't Joe statistics, these are industry st- statistics, say that if we implemented this technology within the trucking industry, once we get to about an 80% or so compliance rate, we'd eliminate more than half of the trucking fatalities in the country. Imagine that. When I think of that and I think that we aren't doing it, I mean, I say, how dare us as a society not do it? I mean, how dare us? How many living rooms do you have to have police officers and lawyers and people sitting in to tell people that their loved one's dead because people wouldn't adopt technology that will save their lives? I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond me to, to, to think that. So what we're doing and what I'm encouraging people around the country to do is when you have that kind of a case, and even when you don't, but when you have especially that kind of a case where a truck runs into something ahead, see if you can implement as part of the settlement that an agreement by the company to implement that they will agree that from now on they will only buy new trucks that have automatic emergency braking. There's nothing that mandates them to do it. But if they'll agree to do it, and we're up now to promises with companies that have over 100,000 trucks, I mean, in total, out there on the road. So hopefully they live up to those promises and there's that many more trucks with automatic emergency braking. And you know the cool thing, Michael, is you and I will never know the names of the people whose lives were saved because of that. We'll never know them. And isn't that awesome? It is. And, it, and it's uh, so unlike the perception of lawyers that you're actually doing something that's going to, you know, frankly cost you money because you're at a point where when there are these big things happening. You're one of the people that it's likely to get the call and you're stopping it from happening before it ever happens. You're, you're really walking the walk on that. Well, you know, it, it's, um, unfortunately I've got plenty to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if we can, at the end of the day, I, I don't want it to be just to talk the talk. I mean, we got to walk the walk. And if we're, if we're, if we bring that level of humanism to the case, then I feel like now we're doing something righteous. And, you know, I don't know about you, and I know you pretty well. We've come to know each other. I know your heart. Um, and, you know, people do look at all of us as greedy lawyers. And to some degree, there's truth in it for every one of us. That's the part that everybody, I'm not running <laughs> from it. There's a piece that's true for me and probably for you and probably for most of us. But the ones who are doing doing it right, there's there's an equal measure, if not a greater measure, of a desire to leave this place safer than we found it. 
And who's going to do it but us? Who's going to do it? The industry, unfortunately, will not do it themselves. They've, they have the opportunity, and they're not doing it. And they haven't done it. So, and we're certainly not getting it done under this administration. And frankly, we didn't get it done under the last administration. So it's not a, it's not a D and R thing. I mean, you know, there's some of that, but neither side. The government just doesn't seem to want to act. And maybe it's because trucking is a very powerful and rich special interest group. Just might be the answer. But, I uh, think that is definitely the answer, I think. Yeah. So I think so, too. And it's unfortunate because, you know, the, the, those, those people who are in that camp, they'd be the first ones to be jumping up and down and raising cane when it's their kid who's dead. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate truth. I want to turn now, and you may have already covered this, uh, but you and I have talked about the concept of hyper-specialization as a mm -hmm. lawyer. What is that? Um, well, uh, hyper-specialization, to me, here's what I mean when I use the term. Um, what I do in the law is, I think, hyper-specialized. Um, you know, once upon a time, uh, if you said you were a lawyer, that means that people would come into you and whatever their legal problem was, you would either know how to handle by virtue of experience or you'd figure it out. You were a lawyer in all regards. You would handle somebody's criminal case, their DUI case, their traffic accident, their, their, you know, uh, their will, their divorce, their child custody, their business dispute, set up a corporation, and all that before lunch. And then after lunch, you'd be a securities lawyer and a bankruptcy lawyer. And, you know, that's, that's wonderful. I don't think I'm smart enough to do that. In my world, um, and it goes back to that insecurity that I talked about earlier that I own now, because I, the more I own it, the less power it has over me, um, is I decided a long time ago that I could be most effective against anybody if I were really truly a subject matter expert. And I'll tell you a little quick story about how that happened. I was a baby lawyer, and I'm betting that some people who are listening to this, if they're young lawyers and trying to figure out where they're going, might be able to relate to this. So I was in a room, imagine a room, it was kind of dark in the room, and it was some event, it was either a Georgia trial lawyers event or, a, or an AAJ type of event, but it was a lot of lawyers in a room. And, um, and I remember looking around and just feeling instantly small and insignificant. And I remember the internal dialogue was, how can I be anything in this room? How can I... Why would somebody hire me? I mean, look at that guy over there. You know, he's, he's the grandson of the governor. And look at that guy. He's a fifth-generation lawyer. Um, we don't have fifth-generation lawyer in my, my household. Look at that guy. His name is such and such. And look at that guy. He was a judge for 20 years, and now he's back out in the world. And, you know, that guy did this, and that guy has a $100 million verdict. And, you know, why would, I wouldn't hire me. I'd hire that guy. And I remember just feeling very dejected and thinking, how can I ever do it? Uh, I'm not going to compete with the advertisers. I, can't, I don't have the money to do that. So where am I going to turn? How am I going to make it in this world? And about that same time, somebody came to me, and I wish I knew who it was because I, I, would, I owe them a debt of gratitude. And they asked me, what does it take to be an expert in something? And I said, you know, a career, an education, uh, longevity, 
all those kinds of things. And he said, you know, those things are all important, but they're really not what's necessary. What's necessary to be an expert when you're a professional is you have to write something scholarly, and then you have to be asked by your peer group to speak on it, to present in front of your peers. And as soon as you take the DS, as soon as you get up on that podium and you are addressing your peer group about a subject, you are being held out as an expert in that area by default. And somehow that made sense to my young lawyer brain. And I remember kind of marching my way down to the Georgia Trial Lawyers Association and asking, who does the CLEs? And uh, got myself put on the committee. And for several years, I helped build the, the programs until somebody said, well, how about you speak? I said, me? You know, me speak. And so here I am now, you know, 24 years later. Um, and you know me and you know I speak a lot. I speak on average about probably between 40 and 50 times a year to lawyer and police officer groups around the country. Um, so it's a huge part of what I do. And I still think that it's, so, that, so that's, that's how I gotten off the subject a little bit. But I think the story is important because what I would want people to take from the story is nothing about me. It's about what they can do. So what's hyper-specialization? Hyper-specialization is picking something that you've got huge passion for. It's not worth picking it if it's just money. It's not worth picking it if it's just, you know, whatever. You know, I don't think anybody's in this field, so I'm going to go do it. That's not going to be passion for you. Find something you care about that, that makes it, it's, like, it's the kind of thing that when you wake up in the morning, you don't mind getting out of bed to go work on. If you're fortunate enough to find that, and then you make that into your life, you become a real true subject matter expert in there. Now you're, now you're hyper-specialized. So now go back into that room and you're in that sea full of lawyers. Well, that guy's $100 million verdict, it's not in this area. And that guy knows the governor, but the governor ain't worth a damn in this area of law. And suddenly there's nobody in the room who knows this area better than me. So does somebody now have a reason to hire you? I say yes. And so what I would say to people who are looking for that is find something you're passionate about. And then remember this. It can be as narrow as being a rear post rear impact fuel fed fire lawyer. As long as you're willing to let your geography grow. So the more narrow you are, the more you have to be willing to allow, to, to accept cases in multiple states and outside of your, so if you're not willing to do that, I don't recommend hyper-specialization. Yeah, my wife and I have had some real conversations about my increasing breadth and practice and increasing mornings where I can't take my son to school because I'm in another state. Well, it is a trade-off. It's a, it is more than a trade-off. It's a sacrifice. Uh, and that's why it's so important, that first step, which if you're not passionate about it, you will quickly burn out. You know, I've been doing this now at, at a, I think, a pretty high level and at a ridiculous pace for 11 years. And I still wake up in the morning and I can't wait to get more. Uh, I feel so blessed for that. So, so incredibly blessed that the big guy upstairs would put this in my path. And, um, and you know, it's, I feel like it's my calling. And when people have that calling, when whatever it is that they're passionate about, it's powerful. Okay, let's say I'm a you know first or second year lawyer, or I'm a lawyer who 
wants to switch practice areas and you know I want to be the next Joe Freed. How would you recommend that I go about it? First of all, you should you should shoot a lot higher than that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know it doesn't really matter if you're two years in or 22 years in or 32 years in. You know we've already talked about finding something you're passionate about. If it's if it's trucking, and what I'm assuming your question is is let's say I want to be a truck lawyer and I want to focus and dedicate my life to doing this. Uh, the first thing I would do, and, and you might imagine I get this question a lot, um, and there's a few lawyers who you know who uh, I've had this conversation with. Most I have the conversation with, and then when they figure out what it takes to do it, I don't really hear from them anymore. Um, but then a few do. And, and my answer is you have to become, you have to be willing to become a real subject matter expert in this. So I'm not just, I'm not just BSing about the passion piece. You're not going to want to do it if you're, if you're not passionate about it. But if you are, you know, then what you have to do is you have to get an education that's very, very specific to trucking. And that's both a technical education and a practical education. I think you have to be the best lawyer you can be. And then on top of that, so meaning you have to understand the mechanics of being a lawyer. How do you try a case? How do you take a deposition? All those kinds of things. But then beyond that, you have to really become a subject matter expert. And when I say practical, what I mean by technical uh, first is I mean studying the regulations, the law, and all of the studying the industry at a level that you really can converse with the experts around the country on what what is the what is the standard of care for a truck driver in various situations, and how do you know that that's the standard of care? And how about a trucking company? How are they supposed to operate? And how do I know that that's the way they're supposed to operate? And I could give you and anybody who contacts me, I'd give them a bibliography of things, and I'd probably send them a couple of presentations that I do that lays out, you know, the various kinds of documents we look to a lot, and you know them. We've talked about them, and you've helped me create some of these lists. So I, I still review some of your PowerPoints uh, when I need my refreshers or I'm preparing my own papers. So do I. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, there because it's a it's a work in progress. And I remember, you know, after. After 10 years of doing this um, and talking about around the country, talking about using the CDL manual and other things, it was after 10 years of using the CDL manual and talking about using the CDL manual around the country that I found the provision in the, CD, in the uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations that really addresses what the CDL manual is. And I, did, and I figured out that the manual was really adopted by reference into the regulations. So it became that much more powerful. So, so at the end of the day, the way you go about doing this is you have to get an education. And what I would recommend is that you join, if, you have, if you're not already a part of your own state's trial lawyers organization, go ahead and join it. It's important to be a part of it. Even when you are griping about them asking you for money, and even when you don't agree with everything they do, just go ahead and join them. Because they're the best thing we've got fighting around the country for the rights of our clients and us as lawyers. Second, for trucking in particular, I would join the American Association of Justice Truck Litigation Group. It's the I think I think it's it's if not the finest, it's among the two finest organizations in the country. The people in it, in leadership and otherwise, really encourage a lot of sharing, and it's a great place to learn and and uh, and and become associated with those of us who do this around the country. The other organization is the Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys, which is a couple years old, 
Um, and I was, I'm one of the founders of it along with another truck lawyer named Michael Leeserman from Ohio. Um, a lot of the same people are in both organizations. And you um, all put on a fantastic program this year in Nashville. I was the most comprehensive and I, and I'm a big, I'm a member of the TLG trucking litigation group and those are great presentations, but I actually, everybody from my firm who could go to that, and I think it was seven of us, uh, when and we're going to bring paralegals next year because yeah. i've never seen such a if you want to learn you know the basics of what you need to do to become a, a reasonably competent trucking lawyer and at least get you on the on the path to becoming an expert i mean i've never seen such a comprehensive program that was the that was the goal was really and you know what you'll find in this and you won't believe it until you come and this is true also at aaj so i don't want to say it's not but but specifically at the academy what you'll find is everybody who gets up there to speak they have a heart not only for what we're doing, but they have a heart for sharing what they're doing. And so it's about getting up and there's none of this half, you know, you know what, where you go to CLEs and people get up and it's really an infomercial for the, for the lawyer. If, if anybody ever does that, they never get invited to speak again. I'm just being honest with you. And everybody knows that. So you come in and the idea is to share real information and to, and uh, so and you know, frankly, that, in the last 10 years, that's also a change that you and some other people made in AHA because it's gone from, in my opinion, more infomercial type or firm of your case talks to more actual sharing. And Well, what's happened is a real focus on the mechanics and the, and the, and the let's, let's, be, let's be almost like a giant law firm helping each other. And the, and the idea of you know, what's the saying, a rising tide rises all ships or whatever that saying is, it's really true. I mean, you know, when, when we're at a point now where, and you know this from your own life experience, I mean, if, if somebody on our listservs puts out a question about an expert, about a company, about a problem, they will get the finest minds in trucking responding to them by morning. Absolutely. And you can put it out at one o'clock in the morning. By nine o'clock in the morning, you're going to have three or four top, you know, cunt, national class lawyers who have taken time to respond to you. And not just a little. They'll attach their briefs. They'll attach their depots. They'll go in on weekends and holidays to send you stuff. It's really miraculous. And it makes this a lot more fun. I mean, it really does. And you and Michael, at least for me, have gone above and beyond that because I remember I was – one thing is an inclusive voir dire, which is a different way of doing voir dire than trying to, to just exclude jurors, but more of a trying to form a bond. And, sure. Uh, and I had first learned about the concepts of inclusive voir dire in 1997 at a trial lawyer's college seminar, yeah. practicing at 98. But I had never gone full in and did it until last year, I had, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit. And, you know, you and Mike Leuserman were both nice enough to spend some time with me on the phone, kind of holding my hand over the phone and talking to me about how to do it. Uh, and it really helped and it's changed we've had much better results in the last two trials than i'd had in a long time uh, i think that's a big part of it and, and you know you didn't ask for anything in return I really no appreciate and, that. but you know what all i ask is that people pay it forward and i know you're one of the people who do and we you know we spend my my assistant tells me that i spend between a third and a half of my time as a lawyer helping people on cases that i have no financial interest in we even set up a, a uh, website at our firm just to we get so many requests for documents. We upload them all when it's a password, and we just, you know, we'll still look if you want us to, but we, we have people that just go in, they log in with a password to give them, and they just have free access to our depot collections. And 
We do the same thing. We should compare what's in them and put them together and make it even better for people. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, your, your question of how does somebody go about doing it, there's nothing, there's nothing remarkably special about me as a lawyer. You know, I try to, I, I, I've, I've worked very, very hard. I'm very proud of where we are, my firm, and what's, what we've been able to do. But at the end of the day, if somebody wants to do this, there's no secret sauce to it other than being willing to put the work in. you got to learn it. you got to surround yourself with the people who are in the field who really know it and are willing to share with you. So you join those organizations, and then you start doing it. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to take some time. Get yourself, once you're in the organizations, do, do what I did. When, when I first joined the, tri- the truck litigation group, I went to the leadership and said, what can I do to help? Because, you know, there's a lot of takers in this world, and, and then there's a few who are willing to give. I want our groups to be givers. And I think leadership-wise, we've accomplished that. And that, you know, that's a trickle-down trickle down thing. So at this point, you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, there's more people now who want to do trucking than ever before. Um, but most of those people, they're not doing it because of the passion. They're doing it because they smell money. Um, I really don't go all that far out of my way to help when I hear somebody and it's all just about money. But show me a path to safety. Show me that what you're trying to do is affect something for real people and leave the world a little bit safer. And I'll spend my weekend away from my family helping you without any, without any expectation of anything back. And I know you would too. And I've got a room full of people that we just left that are the best truck folks in the country. And they do the same thing too for people they barely know. That's awesome to me. I agree. And, and I will agree that you don't have to be a remarkable genius to be a trucking lawyer because, frankly, the regulations are written where somebody who is a truck driver can understand them. If you've gone to law school and passed the bar exam, you should be able to figure this stuff out. But I will disagree that you're not a remarkable person because no, you're kind. you have dedicated yourself to learning it. Not everyone does that. You put the work in, and then you've gone to share your knowledge with other people and not asking for anything in return. And then you've actually acted against your own economic interest and you're insisting as part of settlements that defendants do things to prevent future wrecks. And that's something that not enough of us do. Uh, I've only done it a couple of times where I've been in the case. Uh, and I, I want to do it more. You have to find the right cases where you have that bargaining power. Uh, but it feels so good. And the clients feel, especially on a death, you know, they, there's always a bit of feeling like you're a little dirty taking money on a death and, when you can make a positive safety change and feel like you've saved another life, the, the client feels so much better. There's no, there's no doubt. You know, one of the initiatives that was started out of the truck litigation group and is slowly spreading through the country has to do with um, convincing companies to have side underride protection for their trucks on their trailers, both for pedestrians and, and cars ultimately. Um, but that's an area right now, if I were a young lawyer, uh, and I was looking to become known within the truck litigation group and demonstrate that I was willing to uh, do some work and my heart's in the right place, I would jump on that bandwagon. We need people. We need warriors around the country who can go and take what we, we've, it's already all put together. There's no, you don't need any original. We just need, we just need soldiers. We, we'll, we'll teach you exactly what to do. You can take it within your community and make something good happen in your community by getting your city 
to adopt certain certain things that now many cities are are adopting slowly one after another starting in Boston and you know and you know this but we're sport, sort of spreading around the country and more and more people are seeing how important this is and that's going to save lives and so you want to do something to save lives you want to do something to show that you're interested in this area and make a difference quickly that's something you could you could step into a franchise on you reach out to me, I'll put you in touch with people, or you can reach out to Andy Young in Ohio or uh, Valerie Horatius uh, in Boston, and they will plug you right in and welcome you and teach you everything you need to know. Um, and you'll join the, the army that's out there trying to do the right thing on these cases. So um, you know, I hope this has been helpful for, uh, for you and, and, and for, for, the, for the people who are listening. And you know, I always end by saying, I, I try to practice what I preach, and so my phone number, my cell phone number, is 404-429-6677. Uh, if you call me, I will call you back. It may take me a little while. If it's urgent, make sure you let you let me or somebody know. Uh, my email address is joe, J-O-E, at frg-law.com. And if you email me or text me or call me, you will get a response. Um, and if I can help, I'm, I'll stand ready to do my best to help. Well, thank you so much, Joe, and thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us. And uh, I look forward to seeing you many times in the future. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joe Freed. I mean, there's something we can all learn about whether you're going to be like me and do two or three things or just like Joe and just do one about how to really work and become a master of your craft. I mean, I think that there's a big advantage to trying to do one or two things really well than trying to do everything kind of mediocre. So I hope you learned something from Joe. I definitely have, and uh, I learned a lot from Joe I've used in my practice and in my trials. I hope you can join us when our guest is going to be Michael Watts. Michael is a nationally renowned trial lawyer, uh, lots of eight and even nine-figure jury verdicts. One of the guys that broke open the Ford Firestone scandal, and he's just kind of gone upwards ever since. I mean, the first one to try and get huge verdicts on pharmaceutical cases, on medical device cases. He just finished up a huge, huge case for a bunch of corn farmers that you're going to hear about. Michael is sharing with us not just how he got some of those big verdicts, but how he built a practice to, to do these big cases, to support him while he's doing these big cases so that they can get worked up, and kind of the sacrifices he's made along the way and, and you know what the line is for how hard you want to work and what life you want to give and what price you pay for that. It's, he was incredibly forthcoming, none of the kind of BS you get from a lot of people that just thump their chest. I found it incredibly enlightening, and I hope you will too. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we continue to explore powerful insights from our amazing hosts and remarkable guests here on Trial Lawyer Nation. Until then, please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app so we can continue to reach more listeners. Visit us at www.triallawyernation.com to send us a message, listen to previous podcasts, or learn more about Michael Cowan and our guests. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Callen and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.